Welcome, everyone. This is Beyond the Horizon, a podcast miniseries where we chat with guests from different careers and walks of life to help us discover what lies beyond. I'm Dr. Christine Kelly, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Abir Saha, the Merrill Family Secretarial Scholar and Curator at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History to learn more about his work as a museum curator. Thanks so much, Dr. Saha, for taking time to talk with me today. I think a lot of our listeners have an interest in not only your academic portfolio, but your shift to work in museums. So by way of getting started, can you share with me a summary of your career journey up to this point in time? Of course. Thank you, Christine, for having me. So um, I am an international student who came to the United States to um, study engineering, believe it or not, um, back in 2009. Um, I uh, went to UVA for my undergrad, and as I was doing engineering, I took courses on something that um, a lot of undergraduate engineers today have to do, which is called um, science technology or society or engineering in society. These programs come with different names, but they, they basically teach sort of the humanistic study of technology and science, um, which I found fascinating. I ended up writing a uh, final year socio-technical thesis on the state of uh, the Yamuna River in North India and the environmental politics and, um, and the, the religious concerns that were coming up around this uh, you know, sacred river, um, essentially. And so mm -hmm. it, it was it was a fascinating project. I didn't do anything with it immediately. I went on to work for a couple of years as um, a, a consultant at a financial data warehouse company. Uh, I was working with small banks um, and it, it was a good job. It was uh, something I, I found interesting I was good at but uh, I kept sort of thinking back to you know this experience I'd had in undergrad um, yeah. it turns out uh, even though I'd gotten my engineering degree um, I actually liked uh, writing uh, papers that have a, a sort mm -hmm. of humanistic historical um, uh, lens to them um, uh, aspect to them and so I kept sort of wanting to go back to that and Anyway, long story short, it um, I, I realized one day, two years into this engineering job, that I didn't want to do this for the rest of my life. So mm -hmm. I um, started applying to grad schools. I, I went back and spoke to some of my professors who taught me those STS courses and asked them for their advice. And um, a couple of years later, um, just a year later, actually, I uh, got into grad school at UVA in the history program. And um uh, by year six, I had uh, defended just the year before that, I had secured a position at the Smithsonian as the curator of technology. Um, and um, it turned out that the engineering degree ended up being like crucial to my current position because I deal with, uh, you know, technical objects. And in order to be a historian of technology, mm -hmm. it's it's such an asset to be able to understand um uh, the the workings of, of some of these objects and have that engineering background to aid my historical analysis. So um, yeah, I, there are probably a few lessons in there, but one one is um, you know don't don't forget that what you come into your programs with all the other experience outside of uh, 
the PhD. And that certainly ended up helping me securing this position as curator at the uh, National Museum of American History. That's really so interesting, Abir. You know, and I think it it speaks to how often many of us find ourselves following more circuitous paths than we might have originally envisioned. And particularly when one thinks of graduate school, it seems to me that it's so often thought of as a journey that can be linear, a place Mm. where one's aspirations become narrowed and deepened. I think what your story speaks to is how your passions might take you in directions you don't expect and how the discipline of history can be accommodating not only accommodating, but can really create spaces where you can leverage so many other areas of expertise. So Absolutely. Really interesting all around. Yeah, I think it was circuitous both ways. Uh, both when I was an undergraduate, I'd never imagined myself doing history. And then when I was doing history, I never right. imagined that engineering would come in handy. But I just happened to find a job that married both of them, uh, both of my degrees, I mean, in in perfect kind of harmony, I couldn't have thought up a a job that it had better, so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. And along those lines, can you tell us, what does a typical workday look like for you? Sure. So as a curator, um, we have essentially four broad fields of responsibility. Um, and, and I imagine this is similar at a lot of museums, uh, but certainly mm-hmm. at uh, the American History Museum in DC. Um, so the primary thing that I do, which, which may uh, surprise uh, some who aren't so familiar with the field is actually research. I spend most of my time okay. doing research, uh, the same sort of research that I'd be doing in academia. Um, I, I am writing, researching, you know, during non-COVID times, presumably uh, visiting archives. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, I would say, at least 25% uh, of my job. Um, And I'm hoping to get my dissertation published. I'm hoping to, you know, publish with peer-reviewed academic journals, um, considering um, publications that not only serve the narrow fields that I had expected I would be looking at um, Mm -hmm. in grad school, but now have had so many other fields open up to me, such as museum studies um, and and just, you know, broader um, articles for whether it's the Smithsonian Magazine or blog posts or something like that. So uh, things that reach a broader audience. So there's there's the research aspect of it. Um, mm-hmm. There and, and the next 25% or quarter uh, of my time is spent caring and stewarding collections, caring for and stewarding collections. Okay. Uh, the American History Museum has millions and millions of objects. Um, and my collection itself has several thousands, I mean, in the tens of thousands of objects. I have one wow. of the larger collections of the museum. Um, it started off as a history of technology museum. So because I'm the curator of technology, I just have an enormous, uh, enormous collection. So to learn those collections um, mm-hmm. broadly is, is part of my job, which is really a lifetime in the making. I won't mm-hmm. learn this job mm-hmm. in any uh, you know, swift kind of manner. So learning the collections has been uh, has been something that has taken my time. And uh, it, it's sort of a labor of love. You're learning about um, not just the history of these objects, but you're learning about the decisions that past curators made to bring them in and why. And, and yeah. you know, each object has a fascinating story, not just in how it, you know, changed the lives of the people that used it, 
but also in um, how it came to the museum, whom it belonged to. Uh, so there are these fascinating questions when it comes to um, the Kara collections and learning more about our collections. And then there are the more mundane questions of where are we going to put this object? Where are we going to store it? Um, you know, how do we conserve it and make sure it, it lasts and can be used for display and exhibition? Um, so there's that dimension of the job. Um, the other 25 or rather third quarter um, of my, of my job is working on exhibitions. Now, not all curators are working on exhibitions all of the time, but often what happens is, and as has been the case with my um, job so far, and I've been at the museum for two years, almost two years now, um, is that some, uh, some other museums may be um, creating exhibitions that they need your expertise on. So it may not be mm -hmm. an exhibition that you yourself are building or creating from scratch. Um, for instance, I helped um, loan out one of the objects from my collection to the Arts and Industries Building, which is just now opening mm -hmm. their futures exhibit in, in Washington, DC. Uh, and I helped them loan out a few pieces of a geodesic dome, one of the earliest in the world. Wow. Definitely the earliest large span geodesic dome in North America. Um, and Buckminster Fuller, a famous inventor and architect, uh, was the one who sort of um, was the source of, of these ideas and, the, and used this dome as an inspiration for his patent on geodesic domes. Anyway, without getting into the, the weeds <laughs> of, of, the, of that exciting project, uh, that's, that's the uh, third quarter of the job, which is just uh, working on exhibitions, either your own or others' exhibitions. Uh, and finally, I uh, have, you know, jobs and duties, service responsibilities within the museum mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. um, these can be, um, um, you know, either a supervisory position, uh, or this can be a position on a committee of some sort. I'm on the idea committee, the uh, which is sort of uh, a rephrasing of a DEA committee, diversity, um, equality, accessibility committee. So, you know, there's, there's a lot going on. Um, it's a busy life as a curator. It certainly sounds like it. And, you know, how I think interesting and stimulating your job must be day to day, thinking about so many different kinds of research questions and threads of inquiry that you follow, not only in thinking about the research that you engage in day to day, but I'm so fascinated by this kind of parallel set of questions that you're describing around how some of the objects under your possession actually came to be there, right? These other exactly. stories of people yeah. who donated them and contributed to the life of the museum. So Indeed. I imagine your hand right um, at work in creating so many different narratives that form this, this whole constellation of the past through many different right. angles. Right. And whereas in an academic job, you may be finding a lot of time um, for teaching and interacting with yeah. students, I think the corollary in the museum setting would be so, some of the public facing aspect. I am, you know, right. regularly corresponding with members of the public writ large. I mean, anyone in the world can reach out to us and ask us a question mm -hmm. about our area of expertise or some of the collections in our objects. And I'm answering those. And it's, it leads me to have some fascinating, um, uh, you know, journeys, intellectual journeys, and then ha create some, uh, you know, discoveries that, that I, I, I didn't yeah. know were hidden in, in the collections. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, really so interesting. And, you know, let's take a moment to, to kind of step back now, having learned so much about your day to day. And you certainly started to broach this when you mentioned your journey in broad strokes. But I think a lot of our listeners might be interested in a future in museums themselves. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of get into the weeds with us around how you learned about this particular role, job opportunity, and how you went about applying for it and what that process looked like. Yeah, yeah. So like with so many opportunities, there's a little bit of planning and there's a little bit of luck. Um, Mm -hmm. When I applied for this job, I wasn't necessarily on the job market. I My advisor had recommended that there's this job out. Why don't you apply for it? And I was like, wait a second, I have more than half of my dissertation left. <laughs> um, but, you know, when your advisor suggests yeah. something, it, it's it's prudent to, you know, look you into it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's what I did. And I kept being invited back. And I think part of the reason, of course, is because, you know, I had this background in engineering. So that helped. But For someone who's looking into the museum space, uh, something that I cannot recommend enough, if you have Mm -hmm. a desire to be a curator at a museum uh, or just work at a museum in any any role, um, get some experience. Get some experience Mm -hmm. at a museum. It Mm -hmm. would have been, um, you know, so easy for me to volunteer even at at a local museum. Uh, Museums love volunteers. Um, The American History Museum takes uh, volunteers regularly. We uh, organize internships and fellowships, all of which are open to graduate students. Um, So that's one avenue to apply. But if those don't come through, if you're if you happen to be in the DC area or can can spend a summer here or even a winter, just a little bit of experience, um, a line on your resume and a connection with the real people that you worked with can go so far. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what I'd recommend most. That would be my biggest recommendation is um, get some hands-on real experience at at a museum near you. It doesn't have to be a big museum, any experience. Because what that tells a hiring committee at a museum is that this person, um, this is not their second option. Um, Right. You know, applying for a museum job is not their second option. They are interested in in the museum space. Um, So yeah, so that would be my biggest recommendation. Some museums, sorry, excuse me, some uh, universities Mm -hmm have uh, museum studies programs, certificates in public history or courses Mm -hmm. in public history, Mm -hmm. which can also be leveraged to show, um, you know, interest in the museum space. So uh, Mm -hmm. those are an option, but that's not an option at your university. There's chances are there's a museum near you. You can help out. (laughs) Yeah. Terrific. Thank you. Yeah. And I think everything you're saying here really speaks to the value of folks going out and taking time to pick up some additional experience, some additional training where it makes sense for them, and to also engage in that process of networking, right? And I think a lot of times um, folks will think of networking as a word that they might be a little bit averse to or not fully understand what that means. And let me know, Abir, if this syncs up with what you're saying, that ultimately networking is really just about um, building out relationships with people that are ultimately professionally relevant to you and can also provide a range of really interesting um, uh, experiences alongside of one's graduate school work. 
Absolutely. I think a lot of people, definitely myself included, used to think of networking as, uh, you know, being at a conference surrounded by a hundred of people you don't right. know who've all published mm-hmm. more than you and trying to strike up a conversation and be mm-hmm. memorable, which is, you know, quite challenging, especially if you're, yes. um, <laughs> you know, an introverted person, uh, for instance, uh-huh. or just don't know anyone there to, to lead you right. to that connection. Um, I think a much more useful and frankly, um, sustainable and realistic way of of networking is, as you said, making those connections through um, correspondences or uh, simply asking um, a friend that you know well, someone whom you're comfortable talking to, to connect you to uh, whoever it is that's in their circle of influence in a particular space. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, more, I think more valuable than, you know, trying to be, again, trying to let your name and face stick or have your card be the one that someone holds on to at the end of a conference. I think more valuable than trying to attempt that is um, just to send an email. Uh, I receive yeah. a lot of emails um, for people who are interested in fellowships or have other questions, and I respond mm-hmm. to every single one of them. Um, and, um, yeah. you know, they're there, there are ways to do it that are uh, there are professional and are expedient as well as like leave a good impression. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I agree. I think we definitely need to uh, take out some of the um, scare factor around networking right. and just make it about relationships. Mm-hmm, exactly. And all of this is so helpful, I think, in expanding our um, sort of imagination around what networking really means, right? Like you're saying, I think you're in, in such a helpful way. It goes so far beyond those ephemeral connections and a high stakes environment that just the thought of it makes people nervous. There are so many other ways to go about it. And it's terrific to hear um, about how open you are to folks reaching out to you. And I think this is such good encouragement to our listeners to go ahead and and take those chances and reach absolutely well abir i think we have time for just one last question for you and let me thank you for all of the wonderful insights you've provided in our session um as we conclude i just like to ask if there was one important piece of advice or really one takeaway that you'd like the graduate students and the postdocs listening in um, to receive as they continue to navigate their career journeys what would that be This may sound a little philosophical, perhaps even a little corny, but make sure that (laughs) you love what you're doing. Uh, It's really important. Um, I think part of why I'm in the position that I'm in is because I genuinely enjoyed writing my dissertation. Uh, It was painful, no doubt. Uh, Every dissertation is going to be painful, but I love the topic. I thought it was important and I could speak about Mm -hmm. it with conviction. And that helped me convince my future employers that um, I am someone who cares about this and can convey why they should care about it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, <laughs> there's so much to be said for um, picking picking a topic that uh, sure is relevant, but it's something yeah. that moves you. You know, when it moves mm-hmm. you, chances mm-hmm. are you can convey its relevancy with that much more power and effect. Um, than something that you just, you know, happen to stumble upon and perhaps, uh, you know, rather be doing something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That'll yeah, not that only help you finish your dissertation, it'll yes. actually help you, 
uh, you know, secure a gainful employment, hopefully afterwards. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it really speaks to just the level of persistence one needs to complete Indeed. graduate school, Indeed. to hang in there through the later stages. And like you're saying, to be able to convey effectively why your research is ultimately significant. And as you're saying, relevant to so many different populations as they are on the job market. Yeah. Um, really so insightful. Thank you so much, Abir. Well, let me just say that this was such a fantastic conversation today. And I'm sure that our listeners will agree that the practical advice, really insightful advice you shared today was so helpful as together we think about what it means to have a fulfilling career. With that, thank you so much, Abir, for your time today. Of course. This is Horizons by Hopkins, a podcast miniseries and a place to discover what lies beyond. Thank you again. Thank you, Christine. Thank you.